Jesus, the Son of God and the Prince of Peace, can calm the storms of our lives, both without and within. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Well, in our scripture for today, we are going to be looking at an incident in Jesus' ministry when he calmed a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus, as the sovereign Lord, he has the power to calm literal storms, literal meteorological storms, but he also has the power to calm figurative storms, all manner of storms in our lives. Uh, Some storms like this, literal, but also figurative. Storms like can't your house, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that someone's house, someone's house got struck by lightning here not too long ago. But uh, that was a literal storm which released a figurative storm in your life, didn't it, from that? So there are all kinds of storms that we may face, cancer or some other chronic illness, uh, mental health problems, worries about our children, concerns for aging parents, family strife, marriage problems, infidelity, divorce, financial struggles, addiction issues, workplace stress, loss of a job, loneliness, isolation, spiritual oppression, the death of a loved one, grief, depression. Now I want you to know that was not just a random list of problems that I made up a random list of things that we might face. Those are just some of the actual storms that one or many of us here in our church family have experienced in just the past year or two. So I want you to know that if you are, well, not if, when you are, and some of you right now are, when you are facing a storm either from without circumstantially or from within in our own hearts and minds, that God has a word for you today. And so I would ask you right now, in the quietness of your heart, to ask the Lord, say, Jesus, what do you want to say to me today? We're continuing in our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ, going through this harmony of the Gospels, using this as our text, One Perfect Life, a harmony of all of the Gospel accounts of Jesus put together in one flowing chronological account. In this, then, today, we're looking at calming the storms, the power of Jesus to calm the storms in our lives. We'll be looking at a harmony of Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4 and Luke and Mark 5 and Luke 8 as well. And here is the key theme or the key idea. The main idea that I want us to take away from this message today is that Jesus, the Son of God and the Prince of Peace, can calm the storms of our lives both without and within. Before we look at our text here, a little context first, though. Remember, Jesus, we refer to him as the the God-man that Jesus is fully and truly God. Jesus is fully and truly man. He's human. He's not a mixture or hybrid of the two. He is fully God. He is fully man. Two natures in one person. 
And so sometimes we read in the scriptures here, we see his deity clearly on display. But at other times then, we see his humanity. And in our passage here today, the passages, both of them that we're going to look at, we see both of these things at the same time. We see his deity and we see his humanity, that he is the son of God, but he is also the son of man. We are now then nearing the end of his second full year of ministry at this point. Now, Jesus was human, wasn't he? He was, he still is. And as a human, though, in this life, this earthly life, Jesus was subject to the limitations of the human body and the human spirit. He got tired. He got tired physically. He got tired in his human spirit, just like you would and I would. And can you imagine, just for a moment, the constant crush of human need that he felt all the time? Some of you think about the the constant crush of need you feel in your life or in your family or your friends, those around you. Well, Jesus knew all of that, and he was constantly surrounded by crowds and the multitude knowing their need. And so there were times then when in his humanity he needed to get away for a while. Remember those series of commercials, Want to Get Away, right? Well, this is one of those moments for Jesus. Want to get away? Yes, he did. He needed to get away from the crowds at times and rest. And he needed to sleep, just like we do. And after a particularly busy time of ministry to the people, he got in a boat then to cross the Sea of Galilee to get away from the crowds for a time. But of course, human need would come calling soon. So today, I want us to take a look at something here where Jesus is ministering. Most of his ministry took place around the Sea of Galilee Most of it in this area right here. About 90% of his ministry took place in this area right here. Isn't that amazing to think about that? When we read scripture, we see him going from place to place. And yet 90% of his ministry took place in this tiny little area right here. Well, Jesus had been ministering to the crowds here in this area. And then he wanted to get away. He crossed the Sea of Galilee, got in a boat, went across to this area right here there. This whole area was called the Decapolis. It's a Greek term that means 10 cities. That there were a number of Gentile cities in this area right here that was called the Decapolis. It was a Gentile-dominated area there. And so Jesus went here to get away from the Jewish crowds here, but of course, need would make its appearance as soon as he got to that other side. Actually, even before he got to the other side, human need would make an appearance there once again for us. So this Sea of Galilee, what I want us to understand here, there, the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long. We would call it a very big lake, but it's about 13 miles long, about 8 miles wide at its widest point, 150 feet deep, but it's about 700 feet below sea level. 
and it is surrounded. You can't see it really well here, but it is surrounded by hills. They call them mountains, <laughs> but it's surrounded by hills all the way around. It's nearly encompassed by them, and not too far away, right over here, is Mount Hermon, which is about 9,000 feet above sea level. So down below here, you would have this hot, warm air. What does warm air do? It rises. And then you have this cold air coming up from the hills and the mount above coming down, right? Cool descends. And what happens when hot air and cold air meet? They don't play very nicely, do they? They do not play nicely at all. And so the Sea of Galilee, besides that factor, you also had these valleys. Like here, there was a hu- there's a huge valley right here. And so all this you have between that factor of the converging air and the winds coming in, whistling through those valleys, storms, severe storms can come up in a hurry with no warning. And these winds come in and they just whip around like a hurricane, almost like a hurricane on this little lake there in the Sea of Galilee. So you can see why violent storms would come up so quickly. Now, it's hard to get a good panoramic view that'll fit on our screen for us, so I couldn't get one of those for you. But I do want to take one look at another picture here then that'll give you some idea. This is from the western side, Mount Arbel, looking over the Sea of Galilee here. And you can see in the haze, you see the hills across the the way there? I don't know if you can see that too well. But there it is. But you see this, this surrounding. So this is the picture that I want us to have in our mind then of what's happening here. So with that then, let's take a look at our text here, this harmony of our text then, where we are told, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. And on the same day when evening had come and when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves And the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling, and they were in jeopardy. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? Lord, save us. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the raging sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. So here we see fatigue, fatigue on the part of Jesus. Jesus, the man, got tired, just like you do and just like I do. And by the way, if Jesus needed rest, what does that say about you and me? 
Incidentally, I will be on vacation the first two weeks in August, but that's another story there. (laughs) But here we see a fatigued Jesus getting away from the crowd for a time by getting in a boat, crossing to the other side of the sea, which was populated by Gentiles. And as they sailed, Jesus curled up on a pillow in the stern of the boat, and he fell into a deep sleep. How deep of a sleep? So deep that even this raging storm didn't wake him from it. So we see the fatigue here of Jesus. But then we also see fear. Fear on the part of the disciples of this great storm. As Jesus slept and continued to sleep, a violent storm arose suddenly. Now, a number of the disciples were experienced fishermen who had worked for years on the Sea of Galilee, and they knew very well how to handle a boat in a storm. But this storm was so bad that even they were terrified. This may have been the most violent storm they had ever encountered on the sea. By the way, you think, they have Jesus with them, You're not going to have any bad storms because Jesus is with you, right? You may encounter the most violent storm you've ever had because Jesus is with you. Have you ever been out on a boat when the waters got rough? It's a scary thing, isn't it? So I want us just to imagine for a moment that you are in that boat now. And the waves are coming over the side of the boat. It's beginning to fill with water. And you're looking at, and you see even these experienced fishermen who've seen it all, even they, they're not concerned. They are terrified. You think you might be a little concerned at that point? I think I would. And meanwhile, where's Jesus? He's back, he's in the back of the boat, sound asleep. You run to him to wake him. Say, Lord, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Lord, save us. Now, when you really think about it, their question doesn't make any sense rationally, does it? Did they actually have anything to fear? No, they didn't. Rationally. But we're not always controlled by rational thoughts, are we? There are these emotions. We have these things called emotions. I've discovered recently that I have them. That's another story for another day. But, uh, okay, I'm going to, nope. I mean, okay, we're, we'll come back to that another day, all right? So, wasn't this rational thought, but rational thinking, they didn't have anything to fear. But they were consumed, as I think I would have, probably as all of us would have been by fear here, saying, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing, we're dying? Don't you care, Lord? But really, were they all going to perish in that moment? No. Doesn't make sense rationally, but emotionally... I get it. 
And I think I would have been asking the same thing. How about you? So Jesus issues a command, and there is calm. It says, He arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the raging sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Whew, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling better now in that, in that boat we're in right now. I'm glad that's over. But then the sting comes. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Ouch! That would sting, wouldn't it? How would you have responded to that? You've been through this terrible ordeal. Jesus calms it, and then he says, why are you so fearful? Where is your faith? Have you no faith? I think I might have been, I might have been offended. <laughs> you think you might have been a little offended? Like, what do you mean, why were we fearful? But he was absolutely right, wasn't he? With all that he had already taught them, all that they had already seen, did they really need to fear that they were all going to die right there? No. But it's very human of us, isn't it? to see the winds and the waves around us, to see the current, immediate, dire circumstances. And instead of meeting it with faith, we meet it with fear. We become fearful, and we forget what God has said. His disciples are human, just like you and me, right? But then that failure of faith leads to a greater faith and a fear of God. Not a fear of the storm, but a fear of God. It says, and they feared exceedingly. Remember, they were fearing the storm exceedingly. Now they're fearing God. And they feared exceedingly and marveled. First one was a, a scary fear. This is a fear of amazement and wonder. You know, the disciples' understanding of Jesus, of who he was, was growing over time, wasn't it? And they wouldn't really fully understand everything until after the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. But here it says, they feared exceedingly and they marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. God is sovereign over everything, And the scripture makes clear in the Old Testament scripture, only God is sovereign. Only God can calm the raging waters of the seas. And no doubt there were scriptures in their minds as they saw this happen in that moment. Scriptures like this, for example, Psalm 65, verses 5 through 8, which says, You faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds, O God, our Savior. You are the hope of everyone on earth, even those who sail on distant seas. You formed the mountains by your power and armed yourself with mighty strength. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves and silenced the shouting of the nations. Keep that in mind when they get to the other side. Silence the shouting of the nations, the Gentiles. 
Those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. Psalm 89 is what you rule the oceans, you subdue their storm tossed waves, you scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours, the earth is yours, everything in the world is yours. You created it all. You created north and south. Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon, praise your name. Tabor was southwest of the Sea of Galilee, Mount Hermon, northeast. Powerful is your arm, strong is your hand. Your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. No doubt they had scriptures like these in their mind when they saw Jesus do what he did. Who is this? Only God can do this. Text goes on to tell us then, then they sailed to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite of Galilee. And when he had stepped out of the boat on the land, immediately there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. Now, one of these was a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have we to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Then Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Because many demons had entered him, and they begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country, nor command them to go out into the abyss. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there, a good way off from the men near the mountains. And so all the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine, that we may enter them. And at once, Jesus gave them permission and said to them, Go. And then the unclean spirits went out of the man and entered into the herd of swine. There were about 2,000. And suddenly, the whole herd of swine ran violently down into the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. When those who fed them saw what had happened, They fled, and they went away into the city and told everything in the city and the country, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to meet Jesus, 
and found the man who had been demon-possessed and had the legion from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed and about the swine. And then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes begged him to depart from their region, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but sent him away, saying, Go home to your friends. And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he had compassion on you. And he departed, and began to proclaim in Decapolis throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And all marveled. Here we see two demonized men. Matthew mentions two of them, Mark and Luke, focus on one of them who likely was the more extreme case and the more dominant one or the leader among them and who did the talking. The text tells us here that they were demon-possessed. It's sometimes translated demon-possessed. But biblically, that word there is demon-demonized. Sometimes we see demon-possessed having a demon. But that word is demonized. It is a, a Greek word, daimon idzomai, Daimon is a demon. Ids is a cause of sim. Omai. It means demon-caused passivity. So to be demonized means to be under the control of a demon. And that's what was happening to these men. It's demonic control, an extreme form of demonic influence. And you know, there are varying levels of demonic influence and control. And in demonized persons... There is always more than one. I know Hollywood, you see the movies, it's always what? A demon, there's one spirit, one demon to be cast out with all kinds of extreme actions. But the reality is, is it's never one. It's always multiple. And in this case, there were many multiples. Legion, what was a legion? That In the Roman army, a legion was what? 6,000 men? So there were many of them. And just as with human beings, demons have personalities, varying personalities, and they also have varying levels of wickedness. And in this case, these were particularly wicked demons. And there were many of them in these men. And so here we see an extreme case. And we don't know how these men came to be demonized or why it was so extreme in their case. But nevertheless, here it was. You see, demonized men, but we also then see a broken man. A broken man. You know, it is frightening, and I'm sure the disciples were afraid of this, to see such a terrible case of demonization. If we had been there, no doubt our natural instinct would have been to be afraid. But Jesus wasn't afraid, and we need not be either. In fact, Jesus was not afraid. Jesus had compassion on him. 
and so can we. We might be afraid of what we're seeing, but I want us to see the humanity of this man and the demonic efforts to destroy his humanity, to crush the image of God in this man. Listen to this man's plight. He had had them for a long time. He wore no clothes. He didn't live in a house. He lived in tombs, a graveyard. He couldn't be bound. He was shackles and chains. He was breaking those, pulling them apart. He couldn't be tamed. But here's the, heart, here's the part that makes my heart break. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. You feel compassion for this man more than fear? The demons were afraid, though. The demons instantly recognized Jesus as the Son of God. And quite appropriately, they were afraid of him. The text says the man ran and worshipped him. Now, these demons were not worshipping him in the sense of giving him praise and adoration, were they? But worshipped him in the sense of what? Falling down before him and recognizing who he was. They recognized who it was, and they fell down before him in fear, recognizing him as the son of the Most High God and the sovereign judge. They knew that he is their judge, and that one day he is going to consign them to the lake of fire, the torment. Demons know their fate, and they tremble. That's important to keep in mind. In Revelation 20, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. And afterward, he must be released for a little while. And then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. They know this. By the way, it has been said, whenever the devil is bothering you and he is reminding you of your past, you remind him of his future. I've always liked that. If he's, remi- if he's bothering you, if he's reminding you of your past, you tell him, remind him his future. Interestingly, the demon pleads saying, swear, I implore you by God, do not torment. He's saying, swear to God, Swear to yourself that you won't torment me now. But they're expulsed. They're, ex- they're uh, cast out. Expulsion. And the people became curious. It says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And they were afraid. They were afraid of being tormented then. But then they were also afraid of what? They were afraid that they might be sent to the abyss. 
They did not want to be cast out of that country where they were, where they were operating, and they certainly did not want to be consigned to the abyss, the pit, the bottomless pit. What is that? Well, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. And in Jude 6, it says, And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. Did you know that there are some demons who are so wicked and so evil that they're consigned, that they are in a pit where they cannot, they cannot come out of there, they cannot roam the earth, and they will be there until the day of judgment at the end. They did not want to be consigned there. They wanted to be free to roam the earth. Revelation 9 speaks of this when those most wicked of all demons will be released. Revelation 9 says, When then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And when he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace, and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. And then locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. That's part of God's judgment on the earth at the end of time, at the end of the age, when those especially wicked demons are released. So this is what the demons feared. They didn't want to go to the pit. They didn't want to be cast out. They didn't want to leave the country. They were at home there. They liked that region. They liked operating there. They didn't want to be expelled from that country, but they most certainly didn't want to go to the pit where they would be held until the end of time, end of the age. And so they say, uh, send us into that herd of pigs over there. And Jesus permits them to do that. Now, a lot of questions get asked. Why, why did Jesus allow this? And why did they want to go into the pigs? The short answer is, is we don't know. There's a lot, of, a lot of theories on that. I'll share with you mine in just a moment. But the point is, is when they left that man and they went into that herd of 2,000 pigs, what happened? You see how the pigs were stirred up and immediately what happened? They, in a frenzy, ran down the hill and into the sea and drowned, perished in the sea. You see, once again, their hatred and their destructive power, Right? But why, why, the, why, why the pigs? The shorter answer is we don't know. But would you like to hear my very loosely held thought or theory on that? I think the key to that is what they feared. They didn't want to be cast out of that country. They liked where they were. They didn't want to leave that area. They specifically say, do not remove us from this country And they most especially didn't want what? Didn't want to go to the pit. So he said, "Um, okay, Jesus, how about uh, just send us into those pigs there? Perhaps, again, very loosely held thought, right? Send us into those pigs there, and then what? We'll, We'll kill those pigs, 
so that we are then released from them, and now we are free to do what? Stay right here where we're at home. Do we know that for a fact? No. But it's a theory I loosely hold on that. What's important is that we see a healed man here. It says, the people are curious and they come to see this. It says, they came to meet Jesus and they found the man who had been demon-possessed and had the legion from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. See this theme of fear here again? Now, why were these people, these were the Gentiles of that region. They were the keepers of the, of the swine. They were afraid because, what? first of all, of the power of Jesus, his supernatural power, I think. But here's this man, he's clothed and he's in his right mind. Quite a powerful contrast to a previous state of affairs for this man, wouldn't you say? The storm within him had been calmed. But the people see this and they are afraid. Afraid of his power and I think to what? Afraid of his ruining their economic livelihood. What else is he going to destroy? See, for the Jews, the pigs were unclean animals, right? They wouldn't eat them. But the Gentiles, they did. Perhaps they thought, oh, here's this powerful Jewish prophet, he's going to destroy all of our pigs. But rather than rejoicing at how this man had been set free, they were concerned about the bottom line, right? Their economic livelihood. One final thing I want us to see in this text is what I call simple evangelism. This man wanted to go with Jesus and be with him. But Jesus wanted him to tell others in his region. We see a a, a blueprint here for evangelism at its simplest. You know, sometimes we worry in sharing our faith. We worry that maybe we're not going to have all the answers to every question we might get asked. We might worry that we can't quote a hundred different Bible verses. We may think that, well, there's a certain routine that you have to go through. There's certain things you need to say. Here's the order of presentation and sharing your faith, and we don't want to mess it up. But I would suggest to you, here's a very simple plan of evangelism right here given to this man by Jesus. What did he tell him? He said, tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, how he had compassion on you. That's it. There's a simple plan for evangelism right there. Tell people what the Lord has done for you. That's it. So here is Jesus, the Son of God. He's the Son of God. He is the sovereign creator. I like this uh, quote by a theologian named Abraham Kuyper. He said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! There is not a single atom or subatomic particle in the entire universe, or the multiverse if it exists, over which he does not say, Mine! 
He is the sovereign creator and the Lord over all. And he is the sovereign judge who will have the last word on everyone and everything, human beings, the spirit world, everything. Jesus is also the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9.6. says what? For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, what? Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. What does that mean? Well, first off, it means Jesus brings us peace with God. Peace with God. The Bible tells us that in our sin, that we are at war with God, and God is at war with our sin. But in Jesus, what we have been reconciled, he has made peace between a, a holy God and sinful human beings. It's peace with God. He's no longer at war with us, with those who've trusted in Christ. But what I want to focus on today is this peace of God. No matter the storm, we can experience the peace of God. Jesus says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what? I'm going to do this. Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, can calm the storms of our lives, both without and within. So I'd ask today, do you need Jesus to speak a word of peace into your life? The key to this peace is faith. Someone once said, faith chases out fear, or fear chases out faith. Faith chases out fear, or fear chases out faith. Cancer, chronic illness, mental health problems, worries about our children, concerns for aging parents, family strife, marriage problems, infidelity, divorce, financial struggles, addiction issues, workplace stress, loss of a job, loneliness, isolation, spiritual oppression, the death of a loved one, grief, depression. To all of these things, the Prince of Peace says, You, Lord, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. That we are invited, that rather than looking at the winds and the waves of the sea coming over the side of our boats, to look to him, to fix our thoughts on him, who promises he will keep us in perfect peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, Lord. You are the Sovereign Lord 
the sovereign creator, the sovereign judge, and you are the Prince of Peace who has given us peace with you and we experience your peace within us. Lord, I pray that whatever the storms may be that someone is facing here today, that we would turn away from looking at the circumstances or the ordeal of the moment and put our faith and trust in you. That faith would cast out the fear rather than allowing the fear to cast out faith. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.